Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. <laughs> did, did he do a great job or what? Yeah. I was like, wow, well done. Well done. <laughs> well done. That's great. Oh. Today, some friends of ours are celebrating, check this out, 56 years of marriage. 56. Go ahead. Stand up, Jay. Jay and Sharon Thayer, 56 years. What? Unbelievable. 56. 50. 6. <laughs> you know? 56. Like, that's, that's incredible. That's incredible. So, well done. I told Jane Jaren, I said, I'm probably going to make a big deal out of that. They said, oh, you don't need to. I said, oh, we need to. We need to. Like, <laughs> we want to quit a lot. We need to make a big deal of 56 years, so. We are in the book of Luke, Luke chapter nine. Uh, just, just in spirit of transparency, this passage um, baffles me, baffles me. Um, this whole section right here, there's three or four different stories in here that, that hang me out to dry um, <laughs> and so as, as we kind of wander through some of this like it's just kind of some of it's kind of weighty some of it's kind of weighty um, I think there's some practical application but there are some things I think within the realm of, of Christianity within being followers of Christ that are that are just purely um, spiritual that we can't completely understand, we can't completely grasp with our carnal minds, no matter how hard we try. Uh, we are a facts-based world and culture. Um, you can see it through our politics. You can see it through um, when somebody becomes uh, famous or they do a really great deed, and then the, real quick we want to go find some. We want to go find some dirt on them, and so as soon as we find some dirt on them, now we can discredit everything they've ever done or said. We see this in politics. Somebody says something years and years ago, and we're going to grab it, and we're going to bring it to the forefront, and this is why they're a crap person, because of something they said, um, you know, 15 years ago. Or this is why we don't like this person, because they did this thing so many years ago. And because we get so hung up, and everything has got to be this puritanical, almost utopian idea, you better be perfect if you're planning on getting in front of a television screen, in front of like a TV camera. You better be perfect or else you're going to get stripped down to nothing and we're going to find the dirt. We're going to find it. Trust me, we're going to find it. And so then when it comes to scripture, we do the same thing. Well, if I can't completely understand every single bit of it inside of my mind, then that means I must toss it out. Here, let me give you an example. The Trinity. Anybody up to uh, explain that for me? Just, we'll, we'll, take, we'll take time out. Anybody? There's three, they're equal, but not in one. Who's first? Anyone? No. Anybody want to explain Communion. Let's even take it a step further. 
the Holy Eucharist, the sacraments, the host, the wine, the juice, transubstantiation, where the body and the blood actually become the body and the blood of Christ as it enters you. Anybody want to take me back on the history of that? Figure out where we, where we are with this? Really? See what I mean? Like there's these things we're just kind of like, I don't know, we should make it devotional. Like, you know, just, we should just be like, it's special. That's what we should do. Because if we have to explain it, it becomes very, virgin birth? Anybody? Uh, no, no. I have my kids with me, stop. Yeah. I, mean, this is, I mean, this is the way it goes. This is the way it is with us, spiritual gifts. We're talking about spiritual gifts. And so one group is just like, oh yeah, definitely believe in the spiritual gifts. And one group is like, I believe in them, but I don't believe that they were happening like they were happening back then. And then another group is doing them over on the other side of the sanctuary. We call them crazies or Pentecostals, right? This is the way it, it typically goes. You know, uh, and this is, kind of, this is kind of where we go. We get in this place to where if we can't completely map it out, we really want solid ground. I had a gal come into my office the other day, great conversation. And she was asking me, she said a friend of hers had suggested, you know, this is what she believes and we need to kind of nail down what our belief system is. And she says, I don't know where I stand on this issue. Should I? To which my response was, I don't know where I stand on that issue. I don't know. And if I'm going to like climb up on some little mountain and I'm going to stick a flag in the top of it and I'm going to declare I'm right, I've got a track record of not being right a lot. And so, for, like, that doesn't seem like a safe move. Here's what does seem like a safe move. For me to follow Jesus as close as I can and let him explain to me the things that, I, that my feeble mind can understand. That seems like the very best I can do. And I can read, and I can pray, and sometimes I can get it, and sometimes I can't get it. But I can follow. I can just follow. I can choose to believe when everything in my body is telling me, don't trust God, he's gonna get you. He's got it out for you, he's coming for you. What do you think is going on in your life right now? All this crap, it's him, he's doing it, he's doing it on purpose. And everything in my person is yelling this. And my faith says, no. I choose to believe something different. I'm going to choose to believe something different. Jesus' followers had those moments of doubt as well. They had those moments of confusion, moments of uncertainty. These moments to where Jesus would say something and they would be like, yeah. What? In fact, the passage that we're talking about today, the um, parallel passage is in John 6. In John, in John 6, the story goes similar to this. Jesus says, you must follow after me. You must be willing to give up your own life. You must be, and it's very, this very strong conversation. And then some of the disciples, it says, said, ooh, this is a hard teaching. Who can grasp it? To which Jesus replied by saying, you think that's a hard teaching? How about this? If you do not eat my body and drink my blood, you're not welcome. And some of them deserted him from that day. And Jesus turned and he looks at his other disciples and he says, what about you? 
You going to go with them? And these disciples, the ones who stayed, turned and looked at Jesus and said, where else are we going to go? Where else am I going to go? They couldn't completely grasp it, but here's what they knew. You've screwed my life up. You've completely screwed me up for all society. What am I going to do? Go home and tell my, hey, guess what? I got a friend that walks on water. <laughs> you just see what my friend did with a pack of sardines the other day. Magic. Pow, 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 pow. Really? This guy had demons and he just started like talking. He went all plural and weird. And then Jesus called him out and then the guy was okay and he put clothes back on. It was weird. What am I, where am I going, Jesus? You've screwed me up. I'm not even fit for normal society anymore. You come in contact with Jesus, it's kind of what happens to you. You kind of get something about you that's just not quite right anymore. Your faith just leans hard one direction. And all your circumstances are screaming one thing. And your faith is over here going, I can't let go of this. And I know I can't let go of this. I'm anchored. I'm anchored. Do I look like an idiot? Yes, probably so. Yeah. But I'm okay with that. Oh, so you have all the answers. Right. Right. No. But there's been some questions that he's answered that has caused me to go ahead and anchor my faith there. Not all of them, but some of them. And they were enough. They were enough for me to anchor down and say, he's good. He's good. The disciples have been there as well. Our passage today is Luke chapter 9, verses 18 through 27. Let me read you 18 through 20. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And still others say some of the prophets of old. But what about you? Who do you say that I am? You kind of get this scene. It's kind of an interesting question, really. I don't know if this is like, I'm pretty sure it's not, but it sounds almost like this kind of insecure Jesus, like for a moment, to where he's kind of like, Give me a status report. Who are they, what are they saying? You're out there. You're among the people. You just got back from the mission I sent you on and you came back. What are they saying? What are they saying? What's the, how are we doing in the world? Who do they say that I am? And some are like, well, you're, I mean, they say you're John the Baptist. If you remember, after the disciples went out and did that, remember Herod, remember Herod got very, very scared because he heard about everything that was going on. And he wondered to himself, is this John the Baptist? Elijah, one of the prophets of old? And then here these, these same names come up again. Preview for next week. Some of those names are going to come up again. Luke mentions them three times in a row. Why? There's something there. There's something there for us. And he looks at the disciples and he says, so who do they say? I mean, they say it could be John the Baptist. You know, John the Baptist had just died not too long ago. It was Jesus' cousin. Should you kind of, they say you're Elijah? Maybe you come back from the grave? Maybe an old prophet from long ago? Why? Why would they, why wouldn't you encounter Jesus in this day and age, in that day and age? Why would you all of a sudden attach him to these people? Well, for John the Baptist, it would be this. John the Baptist had a notorious reputation of pushing against the, uh, the man. You with me? Pushing against the man, pushing against the system. He didn't care. 
He would say anything to anybody. In fact, that's, what's got him, that's what got him killed. One of the guys who liked him so much called him in and said, I like this guy. He makes me laugh. He's funny. He's enjoyable. I like to hear him talk. I like the way you talk. I like the way you talk. This is it, you know? Maybe not quite like that, but it's similar, you know? And so he calls him in. And then John the Baptist learns that, like, there's, like, kind of incestual weird affair going on between a king and somebody else. And John the Baptist does not pull any punches. He's like, you know that's wrong, right? Probably going to go to hell. And the guy's like, uh, chop his head off. Like, and this whole, this whole thing goes down. And, and there's a daughter, and she's dancing. And the, says, what do you want? I'll give you anything if you dance. And what do you want? The head of John the Baptist. And he already made the commitment, and it saddened him. Yeah, John the Baptist killed. So they kind of compare him to Jesus because Jesus didn't pull any punches either. He would stand up in any group, and he would say exactly what was on his mind, whatever God let him say. That could be that. There was this kind of a vow of poverty that John the Baptist lived by, and you get it with the uh, camel hair clothing and the living on the outskirts of cities. And Jesus was not a guy that was about possessions. At one point, somebody says to Jesus, hey, I would like to follow you, Jesus. And he says, okay, but you know I don't have a place to stay, right? Because if you're thinking we're living like at, we're living large, you know, I don't have a summer home in Boca Raton. So, what do you, uh, if you're good with that, sleeping on the ground and all that, up high, right? So those kind of, those kind of connect. Uh, John the Baptist's message was powerful. It was a powerful message, one with authority, which was different than, I think, those in that time period, the rabbis of that time period. They spoke in parables, but it wasn't authority. Jesus had authority when he spoke. That was one of the common phrases. What about Elijah? Well, this is kind of interesting, really, because Elijah actually did a miracle in the Old Testament. He was an Old Testament prophet. He did a miracle in the Old Testament of multiplying food which kind of connects to Jesus also he raised the son of a woman of a widow the son who had died and he raised this lady's son we remember just a few weeks back Jesus did the same thing the widow from Nain and Jesus raised her son so there's kind of this thing not only that Elijah prophesied that the rain would stop and it stopped. Then he prophesied that it would start and it started. And so there's this connection to Elijah kind of controlled the elements. And then when Jesus is out on the boat, he rebukes the wind and the waves and they listen to him like a puppy. So you can kind of see the connection. If you go out into the world today and you ask the question, who is Jesus? There is absolutely no shortage of answers on what you're going to hear. Good man. Rarely does anybody ever, ever say, Jesus was a destructive force on culture. That's not what they said. You can't read through and say, oh, Jesus was just a terrible person. Oh, okay, he's a terrible person. When's the last time you fed 5,000 people by yourself? Never. You're worse, right? When's the last time you healed somebody on the regular? He wasn't a terrible person. His message was about love. 
You can go out into the culture and you can say, what position was Jesus in the world? How do you see him? Well, he's a religious leader. Oh, really? Like a religious leader, like how? Like Muhammad or Buddha. Maybe even Gandhi, David Koresh, Joel Osteen. We just kind of collect all of our religious leaders in one group. Nobody really has any problem with that. That's all okay. You do not have any problem with that. You can say that over and over and over and nobody will give you any problems whatsoever. But do you know where the line is crossed? When you elevate Jesus beyond a religious leader. You take Jesus and you pull him up out of the religious leader category and you go, oh, he was not a religious leader. He said he was God. No other religious leader says that. He said he was God. Which means, if he wasn't God, he was a terrible person. Because he's a big fat liar. But he was. Or it means he was insane, which does not make you a good religious leader. If you keep up with that kind of thing. It doesn't. He was either God, or he wasn't. Now, you take that message out into the streets and you use that message as the authority and you want to put that into somebody's life and say yes but Jesus said if you do this it's wrong now we got a problem with Jesus so why would Luke bring up John the Baptist Elijah some of the prophets of old because sometimes it's comfortable to take Jesus and stick him over here in religious group categories right I like Jesus over here he was a good 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 man good teacher so smart and witty and his stories are excellent you know and we like that that's comfortable when we can get our hands on Jesus the problem with Jesus is he's way too slippery he says stuff like this before Abraham was I am I don't think you grammatically said that right yeah but if you're not bound by time space and matter I guess it really doesn't matter what because that's Jesus That's where people have a problem with Jesus. It's where our culture puts the brakes on when it comes to Jesus. Are all religions the same? Well, we would love to say yes here in America. Most of our culture would love to say yes. You have the freedom. You can worship and you can love every... You can, you can do whatever it is you need to do. It's America. You can do this. But the minute you heighten, the minute you take Jesus and you raise him up, to a certain place to where there's condemnation or judgment of some kind that's going to come trickling down. People have a problem. I don't know if you caught, if you caught the, uh, the Bernie Sanders thing this last week. On, did you see that? Just do a, little, do a little YouTube search if you want. Check that out. Um, coming against a, uh, coming against a, uh, a nominee uh, for, a, for an upcoming office. Uh, check that one out. Check that one out. You want to see the difference? Um, and this isn't to criticize Bernie Sanders, but to simply say, do you want to see it turn? Do you want to see it turn on a dime? But do you believe that people stand condemned based on what Jesus said? And here it is on C-SPAN. Wow. And it's live and living color. And it's pretty rough. It's pretty rough. You want to see somebody throw a fit? Go ahead. Jesus warned us. 
you follow after me, trust me, people will not like you a lot. There will be pockets like this who will really like you. But there will be other places who you will be brought in, you will be flogged in synagogues. Now, we don't have a lot of synagogues, so we're kind of safe from that. But you might be flogged elsewhere, you know. That's what Jesus warned us about. There's a couple things that's interesting about this. One thing, Jesus asked this question. When he asked the question, who do people say I am? Asked is this word interrogate. He interrogates his disciples. Now, this kind of gets a little weird. Now, don't, don't, don't take it like, where were you the night of the 14th? It's not like that. This is a little more like, the reason an interrogation is important is because you're asking somebody who actually does know something. And so Jesus is interrogating, asking people who have a preferred position, a, a legitimate and accurate bird's eye view of the landscape. And he's asking them, who are they saying? And then they respond, John the Baptist, Elijah, some of the prophets of old. And Jesus does not even nod to, to their answer. He does not even nod. And he's like, um, what about you? Uh, it's no, there's no doubt that this was a question that they had. Absolutely no doubt. They had wondered this, I'm quite sure. I'm, I'm, I'm quite sure. They at least had the thought in their mind rolling around. Like, could he, well, when he wasn't around, like when Jesus slipped away to pray, like, all right, executive session, everybody in here, everybody in here, we need to talk. All of us need to talk. Look, is this the freaking guy or not? Is this him? Because this could be him. Like, this could be him. Like, did you see how quick he, he grouped people together? Like, that's kind of military. That's kind of military. I'm not saying he's the Messiah and we're going for the throne, but I'm just saying we scooped up 5,000 pretty dadgum quick. We, we got a chance. Is this, is this him? And so then he asks, who do you, and the word is pronounce, or conclude. What's your conclusion? What's their conclusion on who I am? Ah, yeah, they say this, this, this. What about you? What's your conclusion? Everybody has the same opportunity to faith. Everybody in the world has the same opportunity to faith. Because here's the deal. Faith is a choice. You choose to believe things every single day that absolutely defy logic. You want me to prove it to you? When you get in your car and you head to Chanute or you head to Kansas City, you take off and let's say on average you're good Christian so you're not doing over 70, all right? Let's say you're not. Say you're not going over 70. You're going at a normal pace, a good Christian pace, all right? You're going down the road. There's somebody else coming down the road. Let's assume that they're not Christians and they want to drive 75 or 76 or 78, okay? So they're coming down the road, racing at you, okay? Racing at you. And you go by each other with less than about two feet of space. Why are you looking at Facebook? You trust that? You choose to just believe that this person that's coming down the road at you is going to just pay attention and stay on their side of the line. I was traveling somewhere this last week and I'm coming down the road in this car. I don't know what was going on in the car. But it was far enough away that I didn't panic. But it was still too close for them because they did panic. And they, they drifted over the line. I mean, over the line. 
over onto my side and I'm coming I'm like surely they're gonna see this right and I'm coming at him and then I see I see hairline and then she looks up and the look on her face was I need a restroom now <laughs> I mean it was just like oh I mean uh, and I've been watching for a while as they're coming and I'm slowing down and I'm like this isn't surely we're gonna get this slowed down right they're gonna go back over where they belong and they look up oh like you could just see them just the sudden panic they get back over on their side like and I mean I mean like just and I'm sure the rest of the trip was terrible you know as she's got wet pants and she's just <laughs> driving down the um, but we trust we choose to believe that the people that are coming at us are paying attention and that we are paying attention and that they're gonna stay on their side and then I'm going to stay on my side. We choose to believe that the tires on our vehicle are not going to pop and go out, have a blowout, and jerk us over into the other lane. We choose all kinds of things. And then when it comes to Jesus, we stand back almost like, um, almost like a, like a, like a, I don't know, waiting to be wooed. No, I don't know, Jesus. I don't know. I need you to prove it to me. I need empirical evidence, Jesus. Come you're gonna, I don't know. Is that a sign? I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that I can, I have, I can't do it. I can't really commit all that. I mean, what has he really done for me? Of all the things we choose, we get to Jesus and we're like, mm, I don't know. And we begin to pretend like it's kind of something that happens on the inside. Like I'm waiting for him to really just hook me and draw me in. Here's the option. You choose. You choose. It's your faith. You choose to believe. Nothing about Jesus has changed in the last, I don't know, what, forever? Nothing. We have all sorts of writings. We have his, we have his heart and soul and life and sacrifice all written down in Scripture, and we still stand by on the side like, yeah, but what has he really done for me? I don't know if I can really buy in yet. And it's a choice. They ask this question when they're in the boat, if you remember. What manner of man is this? So the thought's been there. Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Peter, the spokesman, pipes up. You're the Christ. Christ of God. You're the Messiah. You're the anointed one, the chosen one. You are the ultimate hero from heaven, the one who came to redeem all of Israel. We've talked about it. This is what we believe. And I love this. And Jesus goes, shh. Keep your voice down. What? I thought that was the goal. Like, aren't we going to go out and tell the world, like, this is the Messiah? No. Keep your voice down. It says that he rebuked them sternly and said, keep it to yourself. Don't tell anybody else. I don't know about you, but listen, there's kind of a thing that, unha that unfolds in my mind. Um, like, I think Christianity's marketing department's crap most of the time. I mean, it really is. It's kind of crap. Like, if you're going to market something, you know what you do? You tell everyone. You get it on a t-shirt. 
You get a cool hashtag figured out, you know? You post it on everything. And Jesus got no hashtags, you know? Jesus got no hashtags. He's not interested. He don't want a billboard, nothing. He's all like, keep it to yourself. Why, Jesus? Israel is waiting for you, for you to show up and be the man. And then Jesus says, down so they're not on to me yet on to you i thought we were trying to convince them this is who you were no 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 they're not on to me yet you see jesus goes about some stuff really different than i do i don't know if you realize that in your own walk with jesus but he tends to go about some stuff a little bit different than you do you know what lord here's what i i'd love you to give me more patience because i just need to be a more patient man and then like everything in your house breaks I will never do that again, ever. Lord, strengthen my marriage. What happened to her? What? She's lost the plot. Lord, I want to be a good parent. <laughs> Your kids get bad. Like, Jesus got, he's got a way, you know. Lord, <laughs> Lord, I want to be better for you. Like, all right, fine, broken ankle. Like, how did that help? I mean, look at all the time we get to spend together. You're not going anywhere. I know. But life sucks, you know. What happened? He don't do things like I would do things. And then when it comes to the marketing side, he's the same way. He's the exact same way. They're not on to me. What? Good deal. Shh. Let's keep this between you and me. And you can see the disciples like walk off looking at each other like, dude, I don't even know what we're doing anymore. Like, I don't even know. I don't, know, I don't have any idea what we're supposed to be doing. But then Jesus explains why we have to keep this hush-hush. Check this out. Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 21. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. Don't tell anyone that I am the Messiah. Don't tell them. Okay. And then here's what he says in verse 22. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Don't tell them. People have a weird expectation of you as a person, correct? You meet people at times who have an expectation of who you're supposed to be. By the way you look, by the position that you were in by things that they've heard about you. And they like to come in with their expectations and put them on you. And if you let them down, you're going to pay for it. Have you experienced this? It's a real thing. It's a real thing. Lucky, lucky, blessed, blessed are the few people in the world who figure out a way to get a group of people around them who would never break them down, who would never chew them up, who would love them unconditionally, who would care for them and care for their soul. Blessed, are the, blessed is the man or the woman who has those kind of people around them who you can be broken and faulty and they will continue to love you. If that's you, you should be thanking the Lord for having those kind of people around you. If that's not you, you need to be asking the Lord to give you those kind of people, which means then you have to become vulnerable and you have to go find those kind of people. You have to risk and go find those kind of people 
And Jesus understands that the world is this way. At one point, he says, he did not entrust himself to man, for he did not trust what was in a man. Good insight, Jesus. We'll write that one down. Because I need it. And Jesus is at this place, and he says, they have an expectation of what the Messiah, the ultimate hero, is going to do. He's going to walk in. He's going to ride in on a white horse. He's going to kick open the gates of the palace. He's going to take the place by storm. And if they think I'm the Messiah now, they're going to be sorely disappointed when they see my path to glory. You see, the path to glory is not through triumph. It's not through ego. It's not through prestige. It's not through victory. The path to glory, from heaven's perspective, is through suffering. Nothing good has ever happened in your life that did not involve suffering. I'll say it again, and you can test it against the backdrop of your own life. Nothing in your life that is good has ever, ever, ever happened without suffering. Do you have wonderful children in your life? Do you have wonderful children in your life? Somebody had those children. And the dudes are like, it was basically painless for me. You know? yeah. Somebody had those children. You like to get fit the gym? That's easy, right? No, it sucks. It's terrible. You like to move up in your work, right? Like to, like to get a promotion, climb the ladder a little bit? That's easy, right? No, it's terrible. You like to save money? Saving money is terrible. You just hate to say, and it's not terrible. I mean, it's a good thing to do. I'm just saying. Sacrifice. It comes through suffering and through sacrifice. This is the truth. The true path to glory is through suffering. And Jesus says, if these people focus in on me now as the Messiah, and then they see me hanging on a cross, they'll be gone. They can't know. It's not time yet. It's not time. There'll be a time, but it's not now. Read this next verse. Verse 23. Then he said to all of them, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever wants to lose his life for me will save it. There's three piece of information right here just to run over quickly if anybody wants to follow Jesus come after Jesus become a follower of Christ there's three identifying marks first one is this self-denial self-denial to live only for yourself to live only for yourself is a fruitless exploration fruitless Let me ask this question, and I, and I know this is true for me. I know this is true for me. But let me just ask it, and you just run it through, run it through your own filters. We're a selfish culture. America is a selfish nation, like many nations are. But we're selfish. We're self-centered. We invented the selfie, right? Like, we are focused on us. We are beautiful. OMG, I'm so beautiful. We are beautiful. This is our focus. This is the way we do things. This is the way we live. 
all of our gearing, all of our wiring is about us being self-interested. But in everything that you have chased, have you ever found anything that has sustained that hunger inside of you? One single thing. Has there been any one single thing that has sustained that hunger inside of you? For a short time, maybe. Right? For a short time, maybe. But you've never found anything that will sustain you long term. You have to find another new thing, and then another new thing, and then another new thing, and then another new thing. That's it. And so if you take inventory of your life, and you're very, very honest, and you back up, what are the things that you have attached to, the big things that you have attached to in your life over time that you've kicked up brand new ideas and you latched onto something new? Oh, I do this, and then I go do this, and then I go do this. I've got tons of them. What is my reason for some of this? Some of them are hobbies. Some of them are fun and, and, and enjoying and embracing life. But some of them are, are just sheer distraction and focusing on only myself. Self-denial is the idea that we begin to live for somebody else, not just for myself. That the life that I've been given is so that I can pour out at the expense of others, so that I can pour out to somebody else in the world. And that's the ultimate goal. The next phrase is this, take up your cross, and Jesus even puts this in there, by day or daily. Do you realize that when somebody would take up their cross in the first century, it was a one-way trip? It's a one-way ticket to Hoboken. One-way ticket. You didn't pick up a cross and carry it, you know, around. There was a distinct reason you were carrying it. And Jesus adds, carry it daily. Take up your cross daily. Meaning that at the first crack of light, we climb out of bed with this idea in our mind, it's not about me. Today I pour myself out for someone else. I sacrifice for others. I live for other people. Daily. Yeah, but, G but Jared, I've been a Christian for so long. Like, isn't it just about time that I can take a little time for myself? Uh, you should probably ask Jesus that question. Um, see how he feels about it. He seems to have a different idea about that kind of stuff than, than maybe I would. I would say take a day off. That's what I would say. Um, that's why you should probably ask Jesus, because Jesus is probably going to tell you the truth. And that's, uh, his answer is, no, daily. Daily. You wake up and you live for somebody else daily. Third thing is this, and follow me. That is to hand Jesus, to hand Jesus the keys to your life. Okay, well, that's no problem. I would give Jesus my heart any day. I want Jesus to have my heart. Yeah, that's what I mean. But when I say life, what I mean is um, your plans. Giving the keys to the plan box. How about that? Yeah, well, I've kind of got some plans that I would like to carry out. And I think Jesus is really going to like them. I think he'll love my plans. Listen, I, <laughs> you're probably right. Give it a whirl. <laughs> It'll be awesome. Call me. Tell me about it. I want to know. Um, Jesus wants your home. Your home. How do you use your home? He wants your home. Some of you don't have any problem with that. Some of you are just like, I ain't letting anybody in my house. 
in the story. It's mine. Jesus wants your home. Jesus wants your heart. Oh, you're going to love this next one, but it's not even the big one. He wants your money. Him personally? <laughs> no, not him personally. He wants your money. He wants access to your finances. That's what he wants. He wants your secrets. He wants your secrets. You know what else he wants? He wants every single little broken aspect of your life. Every single one. Every single broken aspect of your life. The parts that are just these little glass slivers that just seem to be kind of just barely under the skin. You've carried them around forever and ever. These things that get stuck in your, in your, in your heel and you just kind of limp on them forever and ever. These broken little pieces, stress fractures that we carry from carrying so many things on our shoulders. He wants all of them. Jesus wants your future. Well, here's the big one. You know what he wants? He wants your past. He wants your past. Yeah, I'm pretty okay with giving Jesus everything but my past. I show up with that long list, I'm pretty sure he's going to kick me completely out of the club. Wrong, wrong, wrong. He wants it. He wants the past. He wants your past. Why? Because my guess is that's going to be one of the ways he will use you in the future. What do you got experience in? Where are you broken? What's your long track record of screwing stuff up? What is it? He wants it. This is the call of a Christian. You know what I love about Christianity compared to our current culture? And then I'll close. Here's what I love. Our current culture is trying to put pads on the corners of every single sharp object we can possibly find. Every single playground equipment, we're going to move it down to where your feet can touch the ground when you do the monkey bars so nobody falls down. Biggest bunch of wusses are coming. They're coming. I want you to know. Biggest bunch of wusses in the entire world. They're on their way. You're going to see them. Push them down when you see them. Just push them straight down. Like they won't know what to do, you know. They're like, ah, that's not rubber mulch. It's going to be funny, I promise you. It's going to be hilarious. Just shove them straight over. Because I'm serious. Like, they, everything is so padded and soft and tender. And everybody's precious. And everybody's just so special. And then Christianity shows up and says, you want to be on our team? And everybody's like, yeah. It's like, do you want to go to heaven someday? Yeah. Do you want to be with Jesus? Yeah. All right, get a cross, pick out a few nails, because you're going to come and die with me. Huh? <laughs> Time out. What? Is this for real? Can I speak to your head of marketing? Is this a real crap setup? No. Because Christianity pulls no punches. Do you want to come? Yeah. Okay. Take up your cross. It's a one-way trip. Follow me. Because if you try to hold on to this life right here on your own, you will inevitably lose it, Jesus says. But if you take this life that I have given you right here and you pour it out, I'll show you life. I will show you what life really is. Then Jesus kind of pulls the curtain back and I'm sure the disciples' hair just like blew and their eyes just came straight open. And this is what he says. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet lose or forfeit his very soul? 
And then he says this. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, then the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory, uh, when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. And I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. And all the disciples are like, whoa. That, that was a little creepy, right? Like he just went, angels and glory? And yeah, yeah. And it all comes through me taking all of me and handing it over to him. That's the call of a Christian. That's the standard. He raised the bar. He raised the bar for all of us. All right, let's pray and we'll get out of here. Thanks for sticking around.